This is OTR Rob, welcoming you, and welcome back to uh, Fibber, McGee, and Molly. This episode is from January 7th, 1947, and you just heard right there that there are some desperate desperados out on the loose in Wistful Vista. Will Fibber volunteer his services in the form of a posse, which is something they did back then when... The police department was short on policed people to do things like this. They would ask the public to join in. They don't do that anymore because I think at one point people, innocent people who volunteered for being a part of a posse got hurt or maybe even killed during the process. So that practice does not exist anymore. Anyway. Enjoy this episode. Didn't mean to get serious with you. <laughs> but enjoy this episode of Fever McGee and Molly from January 7th, 1947. And I'll be back after this with our Miss Brooks. Enjoy the show. The Johnson Wax Program with Fever McGee and Molly. <laughs> of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, 
times certainly change. Do you remember how our grandmothers tried to keep linoleum floors clean by continually scrubbing them? And how they used to litter the floor with newspapers while it was drying? It was an awful mess. And what did that scrubbing accomplish anyway? It was hard work. It never protected the linoleum. In fact, in time, cracks appeared. The linoleum split and had to be renewed. But that was before the days of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. You'll never have a floor problem again once you start protecting your kitchen floors with this easy-to-use wax floor polish. Glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. It's self-polishing. It dries in 20 minutes, leaving your floors sparkling with beauty and thoroughly wax-protected against scratches, dirt, and wear. Its colors clear and fresh. And floors are so easy to keep looking nice with glow coat. Try it, won't you? But look, for a really bright shine, be sure to use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. say that homing pigeons flying over a radio tower get confused and lose their way. That's what they get for being so nosy. The smarter pigeons stay home and listen to the radio in their own little nests. In this case, the nest is at 79 Wistful Vista. And our little feathered friends are Fibber McGee and Molly. Boy, this new radio is sure an improvement over our old one, isn't it, Molly? Almost have to be, dearie. All we could get on the old one was static. <laughs> and then only under favorable conditions. Well, this one's a Lulu, kiddo. Wonderful tone, third's a bell. Listen to it. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Whoopsie doopsie, soapsie, flakesy, bright and washy day. Oh! Let's throw it out and use the old one. <laughs> Oh, I can get better stuff. <laughs> I had Fred Waring this morning and a 76 Pennsylvanians. He has 67, dearie. Ooh, sounds like 76 on this radio. Now, <laughs> oh, let me see. I think WGI... And so ends another thrilling chapter of Esther Marblehead's Dilemma. Will Esther marry Clint Doppelwhite, the bubblegum salesman? Or will she go back to running a badger game with her schoolgirl sweetheart, Black Label Barton? That's an interesting program if you don't take it too serially. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Everybody has so much has so much grief, it makes my life look pretty rosy. One time I... Tune in again tomorrow at the same time for another juicy hunk of Life in the Raw, brought to you by a sponsor who naturally prefers to remain anonymous. Your announcer is Mushmouth Flipwell, who was born in 1902, so he could be with you at this more convenient time. <laughs> Isn't that a swell tone, Molly? Best radio set we ever had. Why do they call them sets, dearie? They're all in one piece. No, they didn't used to be. My first radio set was two yards of Bakelite with 18 dials, <laughs> three batteries, a morning glory horn, four headphones, and a pair of overshoes. Overshoes? What were they for? So I could run next door in the winter and tell the neighbors I had England on the short way. <laughs> Heavenly days. Did you really tune in England? No, I just thought I had them. There was some stuff that looked like tea running out of the radio, but it was only a melted wire. <laughs> Now, let me see. There ought to be a newscast about now. And now for the local news brought to you by Capistrano, the root beer with the swallows that come back. <laughs> Cap 
Pastrano root beer has that extra tangy goodness which is so good at parties, on picnics, and used in squirt guns against vicious dogs. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Give us the news. And now, news. The greatest manhunt this city has seen in years is being pressed throughout the downtown area this morning in an effort by city, state, and county police to corner the four desperados who shot their way out of state prison, leaving a toll of four dead and three wounded. Oh my God. Isn't that terrible? In a running gun battle with city police early today, the gunmen abandoned their getaway car near the railroad yards and are believed to be in hiding on the south side of town. They ought to drag out the throne in. It's throw out the drag. <laughs> These escaped convicts are desperate killers and the police department urgently requests that women and children stay off the streets until they're captured. Why should anybody want to capture the women and children? <laughs> he means the desperados. Oh. Just imagine four desperate killers loose in Wistful Vista. I won't sleep a wink tonight, dear. I wonder if I ought to go down and volunteer my services to the police. My hero. On the other hand, my first duty is to stay here and protect you. My husband. Although if I got <laughs> maybe though if I got out my old shotgun. My goodness. <laughs> Don't go to the door, Molly. Don't answer. It might be them criminals. Well, why should they go around ringing doorbells? This isn't Halloween. Come in. You see, dearie, it's only Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. Hi, Wimp. Hey, you hadn't ought to be out on the streets today, don't you know that? You mean on account of the way I look? This black eye and all these bruises and everything? Well, now that you speak of it, Mr. Wimple, you are sort of banged up, aren't you? Did them desperados do it, Wimp? No, Mr. McGee. Sweetie face did it. Sweetie face, that's my big old wife. Yeah, we know. But why'd she do that to you? Well, we were driving along in the car, and I was driving, and Sweetie Face was in the back seat, and she kept saying, Wallace, get going. Wallace, slow down. Wallace, look out for that truck. Wallace, be careful. Yeah, and then what? Well, I finally turned around and said, Anytime you get tired, honey, I'll drive a while. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was in the back of a drugstore drinking ammonia. You'd better be careful, Wimp. There's four killers loose in town. Desperate murderers. They'll bump you off on sight. Are they all men? Oh, yes, they are. Well, who's afraid of just men? <laughs> I'm going out in the woods with my bird book, and I'd like to see anybody stop me. With your what, Wimp? My bird book. <laughs> I'm going out and watch birds today. <laughs> Mr. Wimple, is there any real future in bird watching? Uh, what do you expect to get out of it? Well, eventually, I hope to go in business with my brother, Mrs. McGee. He's a storekeeper. Storekeeper, eh? What does he sell? He doesn't sell anything. He keeps storks. Well, goodbye. <laughs> Keeper. My gosh. Turn all... the radio on again, McGee. I want to see what's happened. Okay, but I hope they don't call for volunteers to help catch them, Muggs. I'd feel I had to go, me being a war veteran. World War One. <laughs> the big war. I'd... Go ahead. Turn it on. Okay, but I hope they corner them. Their way out of a police trap near the post office and escaped in a stolen car. All roads leading out of the city are being blocked and a posse of citizens is being formed at the city hall. Boy, I'd join that posse in a minute if I didn't have to go to New York on business. What business? I don't know, but I'll think of something. <laughs> 
police commissioner has just issued a plea for all able-bodied war veterans and retired police officers to come to the city hall immediately, armed if possible. Keep tuned to this station for further... Oh, able-bodied men, he said. Well, looks like I'd have to do my duty. Oh, no, McGee, not you. Those men are dangerous. Why, you might... No! Well, come to think of it, able-bodied means perfect health. That ingrown toenail I got on my left foot. Hey, what am I saying? You wouldn't want me to be a coward, would you? Or would you? No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't, eh? <laughs> you don't put up much of a fight, do you? Oh, where's my double-barreled shotgun? My gosh, I loaned that gun to Wimple just before Christmas, didn't I? <laughs> I can't go. No shotgun. He brought it back last week, did he? What? Why, that dirty little... I'll never lend him anything again as long as I live. <laughs> well, where is it? Right here in the hall closet. Okay. Stay home and clean out that closet. <laughs> Billy Mills in the orchestra and Canadian Capers. Shotgun, box of shells, an air raid warden's helmet, a mess kit, a pair of handcuffs. Handcuffs? Where on earth did you get some handcuffs? They come with that box of magic tricks. Remember the time I put on the magic act at the Elks Club and I had somebody lock me in these handcuffs? 
And I had the key hidden in my mouth where I could drop it into my hand, and Doc Gamble slapped me on the back and says, Good luck, boy, and I swallowed the key. <laughs> Remember? Yes, I do. And how did you get out of the handcuffs? I held up my arms and let them slide down to my shoulders and took them off over my hips. <laughs> Why, McGee, that's impossible. Not if you know magic. Better take a flashlight McGee, now you're not going to stay out after dark With those desperados in town Of course, if you're worried, Snooky, I'll stay home You are worried, aren't you? Okay, I'll stay home No No, dearie I won't have you making any such sacrifice for me You go join the party I know what I'll do I'll call the police I'll tell them I'll take charge of this district And my headquarters will be right here And if they want me for anything, they can come Come in Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble Do come in Hello, my dear And how are you today, turtle brain? Hi, kidney snooper How's everything in the world of medicine, as if you'd know Your medical medical education having ended when you discovered that baldness was caused by lack of hair (laughs) McGee, now don't talk that way to the doctor He's forgotten more than you ever remembered Let him talk, my dear, he fascinates me How a man with a brain so small can talk so big is something I like to puzzle over on long winter evenings. (laughs) The evenings wouldn't seem so long, Melon Belt, if you'd get married. Why don't you and Fifi Tremaine get hitched? McGee, now, it's really none of our business, you know. But uh, why, why didn't you ever get married, Doctor? I've been trying to find a woman with whom no other woman could find any fault. It's about as foolproof a way to stay single as any I know. Well, as long as you got no responsibilities, skin grafter, why don't you go down to City Hall and join the posse? What posse? Heavenly days, didn't you hear the news, Doctor? There are four escaped convicts hiding out on the south side, and the police are asking all able-bodied men to help find them. Able-bodied, lard hips. (laughs) Means being able to cross your legs without using a block and tackle. Let you out. Look, custard muscle. <laughs> Remarks about other people's physical condition come badly from you. Well, I didn't... You yourself have the fresh, ruddy complexion of a soiled tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, but Your I... chest is flatter than a sharecropper's wallet. Yeah, but he only... Your lungs are so full of nicotine, they won't even let you blow up the balloons for the Elks party. Hold. Your arches are flatter than yesterday's beer, and if you were ever boiled down for fat, you'd make enough cheap soap to scour the Lincoln Highway from Turkey Run, Indiana, to Buffalo Hump, Wyoming. Oh, now listen, I don't Furthermore, think... if you'll excuse the interruption, my dear... That's all right. Little Scorpion... Little scorpion face here has about as much resilience as a flophouse mattress and the dynamic energy of cold oatmeal. <laughs> Shall I continue, wagon tongue, or does that give you a faint idea of your limitations? Hmm. Uh, did you say you didn't know anything about those escaped convicts, Doctor? Or the big manhunt? No, but that's hardly surprising. I delivered four babies before breakfast, did three tonsillectomies before lunch, and x-rayed a bear just before I left the hospital. You x-rayed a bear, Doctor? A grizzly bear? No, one of the Chicago bears. <laughs> Swallowed his nose guard in a scrimmage. <laughs> well, be careful if you go chasing gangsters, McGee. You're overweight even without a skin full of buckshot. Good day, my dear. They 
They will, too, let me blow up the balloons for the elk party. <laughs> but you will be careful, won't you, dear? You won't come home full of buckshot, will you? No, of course not. Hey, turn the radio on. See if they caught them guys. If they have, I won't have to all go. All right, see... all right. My radio's a wonderful invention. You can hear more things to worry about in five minutes than our grandparents heard in five weeks. It's almost... And that concludes another thrilling episode in the life of Marsha Tumbleweed, girl acrobat. Will Slar and Oliver return the turquoise Hoover button to the FBI in time to prevent Shanghai Lil from dynamiting the haunted cafeteria where John's other brother is slowly drowning in a vat of clam chowder? <laughs> Tune in again tomorrow at this same time. Or if you really want to hear it, 15 minutes earlier. <laughs> Remind me to tune in on Marsha Tumbleweed, McGee. Me too, a turquoise hoover button. And now, our surprise guest for today, a man who needs no introduction, so I'll give him to you cold. Thank you, George. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat is the easiest to use polish for your kitchen linoleum you can buy. My goodness, that sounds like Mr. Wilcox. It sure does. I wonder if he's... Johnson's glow coat needs no rubbing or buffing. Just pour a little out, spread it around, and presto. Try another station, McGee. Here's one. And presto, a sparkling, gleaming linoleum <laughs> that resists wear and stains. It's clean and easy to keep clean. Johnson's self-polishing glow coat eliminates... It'd be all over the dial. Here. eliminates old-fashioned floor scrubbing. <laughs> it's waxy again. He must have poured himself out and spread himself around. <laughs> Try Johnson's self-polishing glow coat today, girls. Remember, the hours you save in the kitchen, you can use to be bewitching. And now, a news bulletin. Here it is. Good. Attention, please. The governor has offered a reward of $10,000 for the capture of the four escaped convicts who have been terrorizing the community since dawn this morning. $10,000 dead or alive. Hot dog, 10 grand. Shh, listen. The police are still requesting armed citizens, ex-servicemen, and retired police officers to join the posse. Report at the city hall for assignments. Keep tuned to this station. That does it, Molly. I see my duty now. 10,000 bucks. <laughs> I gotta join that posse. Hand me my air raid warden's helmet. Here you are. What are all those dents in it? I wear this to play golf on the public links. <laughs> Some of them sharpshooters can knock your teeth out at 400 yards. Where's my flashlight? Here, but there's no battery in it. Good. Makes a wonderful cigar case. Where's my hunting knife? It's upstairs, dearie. I'll go get it. Now, don't leave without telling me, will oh, you? Okay, Mommy, I won't. Ah, there goes a good kid. She knows I'm scared stiff to join this posse, but will she say anything? Not her. She's got principle. I'd be just as glad if she didn't have so dad ratted much of it, too. <laughs> She'd only ask me to stay home and protect... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. <laughs> hey, you shouldn't be out on the streets today, Teeny. It's too dangerous. Gee, I'll say so, mister. Betcha. The way people drive is just terrible. What? <laughs> My daddy says walking may be healthy, but a lot of pedestrians wind up in a run-down condition. <laughs> I wasn't referring to traffic conditions, sis. There are four very desperate characters loose in this town. They're killers. Get in their way and you'd get bumped off like a jockey with boils. <laughs> oh, nobody'd hurt a little girl, I betcha Everybody likes little children because they're so unsophisticated So what? That's what I say, mister, so what? <laughs> Gee, I betcha if anybody... Wait a minute, wait a minute What was that you said? Little children are so what? Unsophisticated Yeah, hmm? I said, yeah, that was it That was what? That was what you said What? Unsophisticated... What was that again? Unsophisticated? That's it. 
What about it? Oh, skip it. <laughs> I was just amused. Now, look, Teeny, you better run along home till we get things straightened out around here. I don't want you to worry about it now, see? Oh. Yeah, now, I shouldn't have mentioned it to you in the first place. Out of jail, you see? Oh. Yeah, now, I shouldn't have mentioned it to you in the first place. It's nothing for a child to worry about at all. But... Oh. Oh. Are they real bad men, mister? Are they, hmm? Pretty bad, Teeny. These are men who broke out of prison. Now, but skip it. It's nothing a little girl like you would even understand. Now, you run along home now, and, and you stay there. Okay, mister. If this is one of those deals where a bunch of lifers throw a heater on the coppers in the bullpen, raid the gun rack, and blast their way out of storage with a Tommy gun, I want no part of it anyhow. <laughs> what? Because if they're the kind of stirbers that chop down a harness bowl with a typewriter and try to beat the rap by taking it on the lamb for the big town in a hot car, I'm going to scram till the heat's off. <laughs> I'll be home under the bed, mister. So long. <laughs> Here are the King's Men singing My Pretty Girl. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, I'm always dreaming of you. Too much equipment. Sun helmet and show snooze. Sun helmet and snowshoes. You betcha, snowshoes. When McGee gets news. Sun helmet and snowshoes. You betcha, snowshoes. When McGee gets on a man's trail, he follows it through desert heat and arctic snow. Now, McGee never gives up. Well, here I go. Good luck, dearie. Thank you. I wonder if I've forgotten anything. I don't know what it would be. 
wonder if I ought to take some jelly sandwiches. <laughs> no, no, I guess not. Well, so long, kiddo. Goodbye, McGee. You sure you won't be afraid? All alone in the house. Not a bit. I feel like a dog leading you here alone and unprotected. Matter of fact, a dog wouldn't be guilty of such behavior. Do I want to be more disloyal than a dog? No, by George. I'll stay here and fight at the side of the woman I love. With my back to the wall, I'll fight to the last. Ouch! What's the matter? Mm. I had my back to the wall, and there was a nail in the woodwork. <laughs> Remind me to have that. Come in. Well, for goodness sakes, Mayor Latrivia. Good day, Your Honor. Good day, Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. Hi, Latrivia. What are you all equipped for, McGee? If you're going to establish a covered wagon trail to California, you're too late. The railroad has gone through. <laughs> he was going to join the posse, Mr. Mayor. Posse? What posse? What do you mean, what posse? What kind of a half-baked mayor are you, Latrivia? Half the town's scared to death of some escaped killers, and the mayor himself don't know anything about it. A fine state of how do you do? How do you do? Fine, thanks. How's it? Quit <laughs> interrupting. Where have you been, Latrivia? Don't you know they've issued an emergency call for every able-bodied man to get himself a gun and join the posse? You don't know anything about that, Mr. Mayor? Why, no. I've been out of town all day and haven't checked with my office. Why, this is terrible. What's it all about, McGee? Brief me. Uh, briefly. Early this morning, Latrive, four lifers crashed out of the state pokey, knocked off the guard, stole a car, shot their way out of several police traps, holed up now on the south side of town. Ten grand reward for them, dead or alive. Good heavens. I'd better get right down to City Hall and get that hunt organized. Come on, McGee. Let's go. Oh, uh, oh okay, Latrive. Wait till I polish up my shotgun a while longer. And... Wait, oh. wait. There's no time to wait, McGee. I'm going. If you're afraid to come along, I'll go alone. What? You think I'm going to stand here and let our mayor go out on that street without protection, do you? Good for you, dear. Risk the life of our city's chief executive? Let him walk into them gangsters alone and unprotected? No, sir. Thank you, McGee. Here, you take my shotgun. <laughs> I'll stay here and phone the city hall later to see if you made it. Great Scott, man. This is no time to argue. This is a crisis. What are we, anyway? Men or mice? Oh, sit down, both of you, and I'll fix you some cheese sandwiches. <laughs> yes, that would be a... Uh, no, no. Uh, where did you get this information anyhow, McGee? Where did I get it? On yes. my new radio. My gosh, it's been on the radio all day. Turn it on again, Mom. All right. Maybe they've caught the gangsters back. Latest on the big manhunt, folks. The escaped convicts are trapped in a loft building in the warehouse district. There. Police have the building surrounded, and chemical experts are on their way to the scene with tear gas. That's it. Stay tuned to this station for further developments. This is station WHPO, Fort Worth, Texas. Texas? Oh, dear. <laughs> Take off your helmet, officer. Your crime wave is washed up. <laughs> Texas? Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> Have you a long list of good resolutions this year? If you're like me, you have plenty of material to work on. But I can't refrain from tossing just one at you in case you haven't realized the work you can save by adopting the wax housekeeping method. I'm sure you've heard me say before that Johnson's Wax is more than a product for beautifying your home. It's a labor-saving way of keeping house. By regular applications of Johnson's Wax to your floors, furniture, and woodwork, you not only protect these surfaces against wear and tear, you also keep your home cleaner all year. And save yourself lots of work. Of course, you know how. Of course, you know how lovely Johnson's wax makes things look. Everything it touches glows and sparkles with beauty. 
Johnson's Wax gives a rich, mellow polish to everything from floors to leather articles, from Venetian blinds to radios and a hundred other things. Try this wonderful wax method of housekeeping. Resolve right now to have a bright, shining home this year with less work using genuine Johnson's Wax. You'll want to use all three forms, paste, liquid, and cream. grousing around, dearie, just because you couldn't join the party. Oh, it ain't that. I'm still sore, Doc Gamble. Why now? He said if I hadn't met any gangsters, they'd have picked me off like a sitting duck. Well, why should that make you angry? He said with my shape, it'd be a natural mistake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. NBC, the national broadcasting company. CBS presents Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. And now, here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. And now, here is O.T.R.O. Oh, the past two weeks, Mrs. Davis had been trying to conceal her little romance, and I had been trying to conceal my curiosity. By breakfast time Thursday, I could no longer bear the suspense. But before I could ask her about it, Mrs. Davis posed a question of her own. I suppose you've been wondering where I've been spending my evenings in the last few weeks. (laughs) The question did cross my mind. Well, dear, I've been going with the most wonderful man. Oh, Connie, he's so worldly, so suave, so debonair, so romantic. Who is he, Mrs. Davis? Henry, our butcher. Our butcher? Yes, that's the man who's been dating me. And I have further news for you. Now hold on to your seat, dear. I'm even thinking of marrying him. Well, that's one way of being sure of the choice cuts. Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to Our Miss Brooks. This Our Miss Brooks is from 1953. And Mrs. Davis has a new boyfriend, as you just heard. Find out how this affects the gang. And that's the entire school. And the principal, and et al. Whatever that means. <laughs> On this episode of Our Miss Brooks from 1953, enjoy the show, and I'll see you all back here after this. Bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. <laughs> Although it was a difficult decision to make, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, finally made it. So after five years of practically going steady with Philip Boynton, last week she finally gave the green light to other men. Yes, last week I gave them the green light, and since then they've acted as though my street is under repairs. (laughs) 
I did meet a salesman named Freddie Stewart. And when a girl has spent five years being taken to a hot dog stand for dinner, a movie, and then a soda fountain afterward, anything would seem like a change. So Wednesday night, I went out with Freddie. And the evening seemed most enjoyable. The hot dogs were delicious. <laughs> the movie, great, and the double malteds were out of this world. <laughs> but of far greater interest than my latest acquaintance was my landlady's new heart throb. For the past two weeks, Mrs. Davis had been trying to conceal her little romance, and I had been trying to conceal my curiosity. By breakfast time Thursday, I could no longer bear the suspense. But before I could ask her about it, Mrs. Davis posed a question of her own. I suppose you've been wondering where I've been spending my evenings in the last few weeks. The question did cross my mind. Well, dear, I've been going with the most wonderful man. Oh, Connie, he's so worldly, so suave, so debonair, so romantic. <laughs> Who is he, Mrs. Davis? Henry, our butcher. <laughs> Our butcher? Yes, that's the man who's been dating me. And I have further news for you. Now hold on to your seat, dear. I'm even thinking of marrying him. Well, that's one way of being sure of the choice cut. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you're not serious. Oh, but I am, Connie. Henry Pringle seems just right for me in every way. But, Mrs. Davis, this seems incredible. Who is he? What do you know about him? Where did you meet him? I met him over the phone about three weeks ago. <laughs> you met him over the phone? That's right. I was calling in my order to Schmidt's butcher shop the way I generally do, and Henry answered it. But how did you finally meet him in person, Mrs. Davis? Well, four days after that first call, Henry appeared at our house in the afternoon with a large box tied with a wide red ribbon. He brought you some flowers? No, dear. Our pot roast for that night. <laughs> well, he asked me for a date. And from then on, we started going together steadily. As you know, I've been out almost every other night. And last night, he popped the question. Well, I'm glad you didn't pop the answer. <laughs> Mrs. Davis, you know I want you to be happy more than anything else in the world, but... You've gone with Henry such a short time. After all, what do you really know about him? What has he told you about himself? Well, dear, he's a bachelor, been in town a month, and he's Mr. Schmidt's partner. But do any of your friends know him? And why hasn't he ever come over to the house to meet me? Well, I suggested it, Connie, but Henry is very bashful. However, he was going to meet you up to the time I told him you taught English at Madison High. That's when he backed out. Well, I won't hold that against him. That's when most men back out. Anyway, dear, you'll meet him tonight. I invited him to dinner, and I told him I'd give him my answer then. Mrs. Davis, not so soon. Oh, that must be Walter to drive me to school. Be out in a minute, Walter. Look, Mrs. Davis, I have to leave now, but please think this over for at least another week. Wait until you know a little more about Henry. I've already thought it over, Connie. And now that I've made up my mind, I can hardly wait to change my name to Pringle. Oh, well, that's all right, Mrs. Davis. Then you agree with me? Certainly. Change your name to whatever you like, only don't marry Henry until you know him better. <laughs>
gosh, Miss Brooks, you haven't said a word since you got in the car. It isn't my driving that's bothering you, is it? No, Walter. I'm worried about something else today. Oh, well, I wouldn't worry about that, Miss Brooks. I mean, what can you expect when last night was the first date you had with him? What? Walter, how did you know I had a date last night? Well, uh, Harriet and I saw you in the balcony of the Bijou last night. Hey, what'd you think of Beat the Devil, Miss Brooks? Oh, my date wasn't that bad. (laughs) Oh, you mean the picture. I thought Humphrey Bogart was fine. But I'm not thinking about myself, Walter. This concerns someone else. Well, you're certainly not worried about Mrs. Davis's romance, are you? And you know about that, too. How did you find out about that? Yeah, I was also up in the balcony with Harriet the night before. <laughs> you went to the same movie with Harriet two nights in a row? And tonight I'm going back alone and see the picture. <laughs> but the other night you saw Mrs. Davis up there with someone, hmm? Boy, was she with someone, Miss Brooks. Ooh, la la. Walter, I can't say I care for that ooh, and even less for those la la's. Well, I didn't mean any disrespect, Miss Brooks, but Mrs. Davis and this old fellow certainly did seem to be enjoying each other's company. Honestly, Harriet and I thought we'd pop the way they were popping popcorn into each other's mouth. (laughs) Cute. Well, that's exactly what's worrying me. She's thinking seriously of popping popcorn into her friend's mouth for the rest of her life. What, you mean marrying the guy? Oh, but that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. Wonderful? Well, certainly. Oh, what could be more romantic than two lonely old people in the autumn of their lives who find the warm glow of companionship and thus walk hand in hand into the setting sun together. Followed by two men from a collection agency and the sheriff. (laughs) Walter, Mrs. Davis has known this man for a little over two weeks. What does she really know about him? About his background, his finances? Well, but Mrs. Davis is a mature woman, Miss Brooks. She ought to know what she's doing. Not in this case. But since we're practically on the school grounds, Walter, we'd better drop the subject for the time being. Oh, sure. I'll say, isn't that Harriet and old Marblehead? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Conklin out in front of the school? Why, <laughs> so it is. I wonder what our principal's doing outside school. Well, maybe he figures that gives him more room to pounce on it. <laughs> think so, but apparently there's something terribly wrong today. Why, Miss Brooks? He's smiling. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder who he expelled. (laughs) Well, 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 it seems we're all arriving about the same time this morning. Good morning, Miss Brooks. Good morning, sir. Morning, Harriet. Good morning, Miss Brooks. How are you this morning, Denton? Oh, fine, sir. Simply fine. Uh, Want to drive to the back lot with me, Harriet? Oh, I'd like to, Walter, but, well, you know how Daddy feels about the two of us. Go Harriet. right ahead, my dear. Now, really, Mr. Conklin, I must protest against the constant injustice of never permitting your daughter to accompany me on so simple a journey as... <laughs> did, you say, did you say go right ahead? Now, take that souped-up flying saucer out of here before I change my mind. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hop in, Harry. Okay. Oh, thanks, Daddy. I don't know what it is, but that boy always leaves me boiling. I can't remember when I've been in such a good humor. I can't either. That is, 
You certainly did seem in a fine humor this morning, sir. And well, I might be, too. We had some very good news at our house last night. It concerns my wife's sister, Mildred. You've heard me mention her, the single one who comes to our house and stays for months at a time. You mean she's finally getting married? No, that's just it. She's not. But how is that good news, sir? Uh, Well, we were suspicious of the fellow right from the beginning. From everything Mildred told us about him, he only seemed to be interested in her for her money. He did? So I began to do a little private investigating and found the fellow had once been a confident man and had landed in jail twice. Mildred wouldn't believe me, but luckily when I phoned him and confronted him with the evidence, he told me to stop worrying that he'd found a new sucker anyway. Uh, Mr. Conklin, hadn't you ever met this man before? No, no, that was one of the things that first roused my suspicions. He never would come over to the house to meet us. I think I'm beginning to feel a little faint. Then how did you know where to call? Oh, that was easy. I knew his name and how Mildred had met him, so I simply called Schmidt's butcher shop where he worked. Mr. Conklin, will you excuse me for a few moments? Why, what are you going to do, Miss Brooks? First, I'm going to make a quick phone call, and then I'm going to become a vegetarian. (laughs) Well, I'd heard of older people arriving at the age of indiscretion before. However, not only did my landlady arrive, but I think she intends to spend the rest of her life there. When I finally reached her on the phone just before noon, the results of our conversation practically floored me. She refused to believe a word of what Mr. Conklin had said about Henry. Naturally, I had to discuss my problem with someone, so over our lunch table in the cafeteria a little while later, Mr. Boynton was elected. His quick, incisive mind instantly grasped the problem, and his first crystal-clear statement went right to the heart of it. Boy, I'd sure hate to be in Mrs. Davis' place. (laughs) Oh, you'd be too tall for Henry anyway. (laughs) Yes, it is a mess, isn't it? Particularly since Mrs. Davis is giving Henry her decision to marry him tonight. Well, now, let me get this straight, Miss Brooks. You say you called Mrs. Davis and gave her the information Mr. Conklin gave you? Yes, I told her Mr. Conklin said that Henry was a confidence man, had been in jail twice, and had told him he didn't care about Conklin's sister-in-law anymore because he'd found another sucker. And exactly what was Mrs. Davis' reaction? She asked me what else was new. That seems incredible Was that all she said? Well, not entirely Oh, I didn't think so She also said to be sure to pick up a can of vegetable soup on the way home this afternoon (laughs) But, Miss Brooks, didn't you ask her why she wasn't concerned with what you told her? Of course I did And Mrs. Davis claimed that Mr. Conklin was spreading the story Because he was angry that Henry hadn't married Mildred Oh, then she knew about the episode Yes, it seems Henry had already covered himself on that score He told her that she might hear some wild stories about him because he'd been seeing Mildred. And when he had met Mrs. Davis, he gave her up. Gosh, then what will happen to Mrs. Davis? Will she learn the real truth in time? Listen again tomorrow to another thrilling episode. (laughs) Margaret faces life. (laughs) But I'm really worried, Mr. Boynton. There must be some way to bring her to her senses. I wish I could help. Uh, Sometimes when I'm faced with a vexing problem, I find a solution by observing how my frogs and rabbits react under similar circumstances. (laughs) It won't work here. Very few frogs and rabbits consider marrying confidence men. Well, that isn't quite... There are only some way to convince her that people don't marry so hastily, at least until they've looked into the other person's background. 
If anyone else were doing the same thing, I know Mrs. Davis would condemn it. Miss Brooks, wait. I think you've got something. Well, after all these years, it's about time you... <laughs> oh, you mean I've given you an idea. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll say you did. Uh, now, tell me, how was your new date last night? Next time I have a secret, I'll hire a skywriter. <laughs> Freddie Stewart is a very nice chap, Mr. Barton. Very nice. Well, I'm glad you like him, Miss Brooks, because that's part of my idea. Well, what is your idea, Mr. Boynton? That you contemplate marrying him. What? Five years, I'm going with the same man, and when he finally does propose, it's that I marry somebody else. <laughs> no, you don't understand. I don't mean actually contemplate marrying him. I mean just give Mrs. Davis the impression you're going to marry him after only one date. Don't you get it, Miss Brooks? Yes, but I'm not sure I want it. <laughs> I feel certain it'll work. When Mrs. Davis thinks that someone she cares about is doing something hastily, she may reconsider her own position. Then you can suggest she test out Henry tonight. Well, since we haven't any time to lose, it's at least worth a try. Of course it is. All right, then. Right after school, I'll dash down to the five and ten cent store. Five and ten cent store? What for? If I'm thinking of getting married, the least thing I'm entitled to is an engagement ring. <laughs> Andre? No, it's me, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I know. Come in, Mrs. Davis. Smile, Homer, this afternoon, dear. But why are you packing? I'm not really packing, Mrs. Davis. Just throwing a few things into my valise. I'll be back in a few days. But, Connie, why didn't you tell me you were taking a trip? Well, this one came up suddenly, and it seemed so insignificant, it was hardly worth mentioning. Why not, Connie? I'm getting married. Well, Connie, even an insignificant trip like that is worth telling me about since... You're getting married. <laughs> Connie, when did you decide to do that? About an hour ago, during a lull in the conversation. <laughs> We're getting married this evening. Well, I think it's simply wonderful, dear. Huh? <laughs> Of course, it's what we both dreamed about all these years, that someday Mr. Boynton would propose. Oh, I'm not marrying Mr. Boynton. It's Freddie Stewart. Freddie Stewart? Freddie Stewart asked you to marry him, and you accepted? Certainly. I didn't have anything else planned for this weekend, did I? <laughs> he asked you an hour ago, and you're getting married tonight? Yes, Freddie said he doesn't believe in long engagements. <laughs> But, Connie, marriage is the most important step of your life. You have a whole lifetime to live together. It takes months to get to know a man properly. Oh, now, Mrs. Davis. I will admit, if you hadn't gotten the idea first, I might not have accepted so readily. Well, Connie, maybe I was wrong. Maybe we're both being a little hasty. I tell you what, dear. If you tell Freddie you want a little time to reconsider... I'll put Henry to the acid test tonight. The acid test? I didn't mean for you to disfigure him for life. <laughs> no, what I meant was this. Since you think he's chasing me because I own this house and have a little money, I'll prove to you that you're wrong. How? Well, we'll simply reverse positions. You'll be the owner of this house. And what's more, I'll pretend to be your servant. If Henry still wants to marry me then... That should convince us both of his integrity, shouldn't it? 
Well, Connie, what do you say? What am I paying you good money for, Maggie? Get back in the kitchen and start dinner. <laughs> well, Connie, how do I look? Oh, like the perfect maid, Mrs. Davis. You did a swell job on that dress in you such like a hurry. I just sewed a little lace on an old black dress I found in the attic. But I'm afraid I cut it a little short. My knees haven't felt this drafty since 1926. <laughs> oh, this must be Henry now. You better go inside and give me a few minutes alone with him before you announce dinner. All right. Oh, hello. You must be Henry Pringle. Yes, my dear, Henry Pringle. And uh, you must be Miss Brooks. Ah, uh, I've heard so much about you. Believe me, my dear... There isn't a morning when my little sweetheart phones in a meat order that your name doesn't come up. I know. I go well with Cab's brains. <laughs> but won't you come in, Mr. Pringle? Just Henry. Well, come in, just Henry. Walk <laughs> right in. Thank you, thank you. Margaret's already told me a good deal about the two of you. Yes, we're about ready to enter the sacred state of matrimony. Where is my little girl, Miss Brooks? I've uh, brought her a little something. Oh, how nice. A box of candy. <laughs> what are they? Caramels? Nougats or chocolate-covered creams? They're meatballs. <laughs> how delicious. Chocolate-covered meatballs. Well, everyone brings his fiancé candy, Miss Brooks. I've always felt it's more personal to bring one's lady love delicacies from one's own business. Lucky you're not a bricklayer. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to welcome you here, Henry. I feel as if I almost know you already. And I feel the same way. Margaret's told me so much about you, how you taught school and everything. She told you I taught school? You're not a school teacher? Oh, gracious, no. That's only for people who have to earn a living. Or is the word scratch for a living? <laughs> My, that Margaret certainly has a vivid imagination. Next, I suppose, she'll be telling you she owns this house. She doesn't own this house? Oh, now, really? Does a servant ever own her mistress's house? She's your servant? Henry, am I coming through clearly? <laughs> what, uh, uh, she never told me anything about that. Well, let's go into the living room and wait for her. Only please watch those scatter rugs. Yeah, I, I simply can't believe Margaret's your servant. Ah, here's Maggie now. Dinner is served, Mom. Oh. <laughs> I warned you about those scatter rugs. <laughs> Look what Henry brought you, Maggie. A box of meatballs. Oh, Henry, you shouldn't have. You can say that again. Uh, Margaret, uh, is all this true? Are you really Miss Brooks' servant? Am I permitted to talk to my friend, Mum? Permission granted, but keep it within ten words, Maggie. We don't want dinner to get cold, do we? Well, that's right, Henry, dear. Miss Brooks is my employer. Then, then all about owning this house, your little nest egg, none of it's true? Oh, that part about the nest egg is true. It is? Yes, indeed. Maggie found it in a tree in back two weeks ago. 
It ought to hatch any day now. Now, I know you both want to get started with your dinner as soon as possible, so go right ahead into the kitchen, Henry, and sit down. Into the kitchen? Yes, don't bump your head on the ironing board. <laughs> that way, the sooner Maggie can serve me my dinner, the sooner you can get at the leftovers. Well, let's, let's have no more talk now, right, Maggie? Come in, Henry. Uh, uh, just a moment, Margaret. I, uh, I'm not very hungry. Uh, frankly, I... Never expected all this. I'm sorry if I exaggerated a little, dear. A little? This isn't your house? No nest egg? You're Miss Brooks' servant? But it really doesn't make any difference, does it? As long as we have each other. Well, frankly, I, uh... It doesn't make any difference, does it, Henry? You said last night, regardless of what... Love would find a way. And right now, it's looking awfully hard. <laughs> well, uh, Margaret, to be perfectly honest, I... 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 Ay, ay, ay. I'll take it. Walter, what are you doing here? You're not due to pick me up for 12 hours yet. Yeah, well, I was passing in my car, so I thought I'd drop off some books I borrowed from you. Thanks, and Bye. Oh, hi, Mrs. Davis. Hey, what are you all dressed up for? Going to a masquerade? <laughs> no, Walter, I'm not going to a masquerade. No masquerade? No, but you're going to a funeral. Oh, well, I... <laughs> Maybe that's a very clever costume. Hey, if I didn't know you owned this place, I'd swear you were a maid. Walter, blow. Have I overstayed my welcome already, Miss Brooks? On this earth, by about 16 years. <laughs> Some people sure have their moods. Well, good night, everyone. Now, Margaret, perhaps you'll tell me the reason for this little game you've been playing. I'm sorry, Henry, but I wanted to find out if you really love me. If you would love me if I had nothing in the world. Oh, could you doubt it for a minute, Margaret, little girl? <laughs> could you, Margaret, child? Margaret, baby? Once more, and she won't even be born yet. <laughs> I was a fool, Henry. Can you forgive me? Please try to find it in your heart to forgive me for ever doubting you. It will be difficult. But he'll make it. <laughs> Believe me, Henry, I've learned my lesson. Nothing more will ever come between us. Except the doorbell. I'll get it. Good evening, Miss Brooke. Am I on time? What are you doing here this time of night, sir? And with a valise? Ah, uh, Margaret, darling, I see I am in time. Osgood, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? And who has a better right to be here than your husband? <laughs> My own husband. My husband? Certainly. Aren't you going to kiss me, sugar plum? <laughs> well, if she doesn't, I am. <laughs> It's certainly lucky you got here when you did, Osgood Davis. Osgood Davis? Margaret, you mean you're really married to this guy? Henry, of course I'm not. Say not a word of truth in it. This man is an imposter. There I won't argue, but he is your husband. <laughs> Henry, you don't believe this, do you? I don't know what to believe anymore. But I'm certainly not taking any chances. boy. Not after being mixed up like this three times before. What? 
Then you're not a bachelor. Margaret, girl, I haven't been a bachelor since I ran away from junior high with my French teacher. <laughs> if he said English, I'd have screamed. So if you'll excuse me, I'm getting out of here. Oh, dear, oh, dear, this is terrible, it's terrible. Then Henry really is the sort of man you told me he was, Connie. With a number of embellishments I had no idea of. But Osgood, how did you happen to come over tonight? Well, when Boynton told me this afternoon of the tragic mistake you were about to make, Margaret, I knew I had to do something to prevent it. Particularly when he said you wouldn't believe a word of what I told Miss Brooks. But how did you think of this husband role, Mr. Conklin? Well, that was just a shot in the dark, Miss Brooks. Well, luckily everything worked out fine, and I believe I have an idea how we can prevent this sort of thing from happening again. How, dear? From now on, I'll do the ordering by phone. You bet your life! Show marks in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only. <laughs> hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. Now here is your Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to You Bet Your Life. There's not much to preview in You Bet Your Life. It's a straight uh, forward uh, game show where you just have to know the answers to the questions that Grotto gives. So, um, and it's always very enjoyable uh, when you know, listening to Groucho, and this has been the second time now, I think, now there's been a resurgence in the Marx Brothers. The first resurgence was back in 1970s, when people were curious about who the Marx Brothers were. I think it's gone to full circle now, and there is more people now than ever before that would like to know who the Marx Brothers was, and who exactly Groucho Marx was, or Groucho Marx, not Groucho, but Groucho. <laughs> anyway, enjoy this episode of You Bet Your Life. The secret word is H-A-N-D, hand. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, Creekstone Rice. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is hand, H-A-N-D. Really? You bet your life! The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... That's me, Groucho Marx! Well, tonight we've got $5,500 for one of our couples, George. More than we've ever given away before. I hope somebody takes it away from me. It's been keeping me awake nights. <laughs> now then, Deacon Fenneman, who's first to try for the $5,500? Well, Groucho, we invited some old-time Western characters to the program tonight. 
And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mr. Fred Noller. And we invited an Indian to be his partner, Mr. Bill Wilkerson. And here they are, gentlemen. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if you say the secret word, uh, you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Let's see, a wild Westerner and an Indian, eh? Mr. Fred uh, Nala, you're the Westerner, I presume? Yep. Where are you from, uh, partner? Arizona Territory. That's Arizona before it became a state. Oh. How long you been out here? No, I've been out here since uh, right after the war. Which war are you referring to? <laughs> uh, the last one. Bill, uh, Bill Wilkerson? You're the, you're the Indian, huh? Yes, sir. How? How? Because my father and mother were Indian. Who? <laughs> Where are you from, Bill? I was born in Indian Territory. You two weren't neighbors, were you? Well, not quite. But I was born in Bartlesville, Indian Territory, which is now Oklahoma. Oh. Isn't Bill Wilkerson a kind of an odd name for an Indian? Well, yes. But uh, we took that name from the missionaries about 160 years ago that were from Boston. Mm -hmm. Is that all you took from them? (laughs) That's all we were able to take at that time. Well, don't you have a tribal name? I have my own Indian name. What is that? Oconstata. Oh, well, I used to play it three-handed. I'd never played the... Uh... <laughs> how, did, how did you get that name? An old Indian lady by the name of Terrapin. Terrapin? Terrapin, like a dryland turtle. And she prophesied that I would talk and sing before many strange people. You couldn't get a stranger crowd than this out here. <laughs> are, are you married, Bill? Yes, sir. Well, you're a brave, all right. <laughs> now, do, do Indians have a regular marriage contract, or is it just a kind of a blanket contract? In the old days, it was a blanket contract. Today, we have to abide by the rules and regulations. What tribe are you from, uh, Bill? I'm a Cherokee. Is that so? Did you know I was a Blackfoot? You don't look like one. Well, I'm not a Blackfoot Indian. I'm just a Blackfoot. Uh, those cheap socks I wear. Oh. I used to know an Indian who was a lawyer. He was a Sioux Indian. Do you know any of them? <laughs> well, old timer, what sort of work do you do? I work down at uh, Knott's Berry Farm down here in Orange County. Knott's Berry Farm? Mm-hmm. I know what it's not, but what is it? Well, it's a berry farm. A fellow by the name of Knott started it. What is what is a berry farm? Well, it's a pretty good-sized spread now. He's got three, four hundred acres there, and he's got uh, big chicken dining rooms and steakhouse where he serves a lot of people. How many people do you feed out there? Well, I reckon about the biggest time they had was last Father's Day. There was about 11,000 a little over out there for dinners. On Father's Day, you saved 11,000 dinners? That's right. Well, that's typical. 11,000 mothers decided to celebrate (laughs) Father's Day. (laughs) I let the old man take them all out to dinner. (laughs) Now, let's see how well you work together as a team. Now, in just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at $5,500. But first, there's something of importance I want you to hear about. When you drive the new 1951 DeSoto, you'll enjoy added comfort and pleasure. 
thanks to DeSoto's famous Auroflow shock absorbers, a longer wheelbase, and a full cradled ride. Yes, no other car rides like a DeSoto. And DeSoto also gives you a wonderful feeling of safety and security. Just suppose you need to stop, and in a hurry. Well, DeSoto's big new 12-inch brakes will quickly bring you to a safe, smooth stop. No other car in America has larger brakes. And DeSoto's chair-high seats let you sit up comfortably with a full view of the road ahead. There's more visibility, too, with the new, wider, deeper windshield and rear window. And should a blowout occur, DeSoto's safety rim wheels help keep the car under control. Well, that, folks, should give you a pretty good idea of the new DeSoto's greater safety. And when you add to that its extra comfort, you'll discover why DeSoto is your best buy for the years ahead. So visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealer tomorrow and see this beautiful 1951 DeSoto for yourself. Now, let's see if you'll get the chance at the $5,500. George, Mr. Fenneman, would you mind explaining the rules to this old trapper over here? <laughs> you uh, bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions, and the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $5,500 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. All right, here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected fighting presidents. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you bet? Just make it about 18. Good. Might as well shoot it. Yeah. Okay. 18. Just, just, just one thing. If we don't win, you won't be too disappointed, will you? <laughs> no, I won't, but I think you will. <laughs> I want everybody to win on this Thank show. You. Thank you. It's not my money. Now, what was the... <laughs> what was the name of the president who led the Union forces during the Civil War? Grant. Grant. U.S. Grant is right. Your phones are on your way. You have $38. Remember, you're going for $5,500. Now, how much of the $38 will you bet on your second question? Thirty-five and a half. What is the name of the president who saved with the 129th field artillery during the First World War? Truman. Harry Truman is right. If he's an Indian, I'm a monkey's uncle. <laughs> and don't think that couldn't be true. You have 30... Uh, 73... <laughs> Get this massive mathematician here. I had it for a minute. Where do you live? I bet you don't know where you live. Yes, I do. 15,300... I live up oh, there. there. <laughs> you don't... You have... Uh... <laughs> Here it is, right here. $73.50. All right. Now, uh, how much of this are you going to risk this time? 73 No, seven. 70 Leave three in the hand. Let me get a hamburger out of this. Cheap he hopes to get enough for a hamburger out of this. What was the name of the president who was a major general in the Civil War? He was assassinated by a disappointed office seeker. General, he'd say in which side of the fence he was on. <laughs> Could have been in the south or the Yankees. He was on. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. Uh, huh? It was James Garfield. There's only been three presidents assassinated. You should have known that. 
You now have three dollars and fifty cents. <laughs> see how quickly Fenneman figured that out. Yeah. Well, let's see it all. Sure. All right, here's your last chance to be the other couple. How much will you bet? Everything? Oh, sure. What is the name of the president who was the hero of the Battle of New Orleans? He was called Old Hickory. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is right. With just seven dollars, so... Oh, you can't even get a hamburger for seven <laughs> Can't have anybody going away from here, Broke. I'll give you one more question, get it right, and you win ten dollars. No help from the audience, please. In what sport do you wear tennis shoes? <laughs> tennis is <laughs> right! Thanks, and good luck from the Minnesota Plymouth dealer. Uh, we invited some people to the show tonight, Groucho, who give intelligence tests. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Mrs. Jean Judson. Her partner is a married man from the audience, Mr. William Scher. And here they are. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome to You Bet Your Life. Say the secret word and divide $100 between you. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Well, let's see. We have an intelligence tester here. I was smart. I'd leave by the back door and quietly. <laughs> Mrs. Jean uh, Judson. You're the intelligence tester, eh? Uh, where are you from, uh, Jean? I'm from all over Groucho. You're from all over Groucho? I wish you were. <laughs> where are you from specifically, Jean? I was born in Chicago, Groucho. You were born in Chicago? Yes. Then I went to Kansas, then to Idaho, then to Minnesota. What were you doing? Were you selling vacuum cleaners? <laughs> Why were you tripsing and traipsing around the country? Well, my father's job changed, and then my mother's job changed, and then I finally got out of college and found my own. Found your own mother and father? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's kind of sad, a woman searching all over America for her parents. Where were they at the time? Were they with you when you were born? I think so. Well, that's handy, I think. Now, what's your hometown, uh, William uh, Shearer? Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky, huh? What sort of work do you do? You do uh, well, when I was on the road, I sold uh, ladies' lingerie. Well, that's pleasant. Uh, <laughs> intimate. Uh, what are you doing now? Well, I'm waiting for my orders to report to the Army. I've been drafted. Oh, well, I don't know what to say about that, except that uh, that is not the ideal place to sell lingerie. <laughs> you're married, too, huh? Yes, I am. My you wife. said you don't look it. You look like you're enjoying yourself. Uh, <laughs> William, are you sure you're married? Well, five years. Well, could you prove it? Could you let me see your marriage license? I don't have those with me. Slippery, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> I'll bet you $10 right now I can prove you're not married. You want to bet? I haven't got ten bucks. Well, I lose. If you don't have ten bucks, you're married, all right. <laughs> yes, you do. Thank you. You ought to get acquainted with the Indian we had out here. <laughs> you can lend your money. He's got a couple of bucks at home. <laughs> If I keep on chattering, I'll not only prove I'm a dope, but also that I'm broke. <laughs> Let's talk about this intelligence testing. Uh, who do you work for, Gene? Oh, I forgot I was talking to intelligence. I beg your pardon. Whom do you work for? have to be careful. Somebody from the New Yorker might be listening. <laughs> who do you work for, Gene? I work for the Educational Testing Service. Well, what kind of a racket is that? What do they do? 
we test the high school seniors who are applying for entrance into college. Let me see you try it on the bill over here. Huh? Ask them some questions. Go ahead, Gene. Well, um, Bill, if it takes three men six days to finish a job, how many men can finish that same job in 12 days? I'd say four. Well, why don't you? Now, <laughs> uh, Gene, what would you say? Would you say he's right? No, the right answer, answer to that is a man and a half. That may be the right answer, but where are you going to hire a half a man? <laughs> of course, you could hire one, but I won't be out of work until summer. <laughs> now, Gene, I don't think that was a fair question. Try another one where the answer is a whole man. Now, go ahead. What's another of your test uh, questions? Well, here's one for you, Groucho. If, if you see a train approaching very fast on a track... And you see it's a good place for it. <laughs> and if you see that the, a piece of rail is missing from the track, what would you do? I'd Find... get off and take the American Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I have a choice of what? You have a choice of three answers. Would you look for a piece of missing rail to fit in? Would you call an ambulance? Or would you signal the engineer to stop the train? Well, let's see. Is, is the train going north or south? It doesn't matter. <laughs> It doesn't matter, huh? No. It would to me if I was on the train. <laughs> okay, let's say I call an ambulance. Am I right? No, you should signal the engineer to stop the train. That's not true. By the time I figured out the question, the correct thing to do would be to call an ambulance. <laughs> well, I've learned a lot about intelligence uh, quotients. Is that what you call it? That's right. Now, let's see if you two are smart enough to run your $20 into more than our other couples. And then you can take away the $5,500 from me. Now, Mr. Fenneman, that's George, is offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The Western character and the Indian won $7. All right, here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected famous hotels. Here's your first question. How much would you bet? 18 He's an undercover man. He used to sell lingerie. Eh? <laughs> In what city is the Palmer House Hotel? Chicago. Chicago, Chicago. You're on your way. You have $38. Remember, you're going for $5,500 tonight. That's the most we ever had. How much of your $38 are you going to bet this time? Mm -hmm. How much? $35. $35. In what city is the Mark Hopkins Hotel? Oh. <laughs> Atlantic City. Uh, I'm sorry, kids. It's San Francisco. You should have known that. It's a very famous hotel, and you've been on the road all these years. You have $3 now. Oh, that's a shame. Here's your third question. How much of the three are you going to bet? Better bet it all. In what city is the Townhouse Hotel? Boston? Los Angeles. It's right down here on Wilshire Boulevard. They've gone with another question. This is for $10. If you get this right, I'll give you $10. And please, no coaching. Now, think carefully. This is a toughie. Who is this from Grant's tomb? Grant. General Grant is right. <laughs> Thanks and good luck from the Minnesota Primitive. Uh, Groucho, we invited some beauty contest winners to the program tonight. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Vera Miles. Her partner is a bachelor, Mr. Victor Desney. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx. 
Well, welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Say the secret word and you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you always have with you. A beauty contest winner. Now you're talking. This calls for a little closer inspection. Well, your name is uh, Vera Miles? Yes, that's right. That's a very pretty name and you're a very beautiful girl. Where, where are you from? I'm originally from Kansas. From Kansas? Mm-hmm. May I ask how old you are? Twenty. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a man of very few words, Vera. How about joining me at a big party after the show? Would you like that? It sounds like a lot of fun. How do you know it'll be a lot of fun? You don't even know who's going to be there. You want to know, Vera? Yes, who's going to be there? Just you and I. <laughs> Does that still sound like fun? Answer yes or no, Vera. No. You don't have to answer quite so quickly. <laughs> Couldn't you at least cogitate about this thing a little bit? Why wouldn't you like to go out with me uh, after the show? Well, I'm married. But for a man of few words, I certainly can talk myself out on a limb. <laughs> Are you married? Yes. Mr. Victor Desney, uh, you're uh, still here, are you? <laughs> you? Pardon me for ignoring you, but it's the best I can do at the moment. <laughs> Where were you born, Mr. Desney? I was born in Montenegro. Well, how long uh, since, you've, uh, since you were in Montenegro? I left when I was just a baby. I went to Albania, the home of my parents. Uh -huh. I must be slipping. I'm standing next to a beauty contest winner. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm talking about Yugoslavia and Albania. <laughs> What are some of the beauty titles you've held? Uh, I was first Miss Chamber of Commerce, and Miss then Miss Wichita, and then Miss Kansas, and uh, Miss Texas Grapefruit. Were you up? What? <laughs> Miss Texas Grapefruit? Yes. Was your father a squirt? Or... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, recently I've been chosen Miss New Made Margarine, and I had the honor to represent Kansas in the Miss America pageant. Uh -huh. Tell us something about the Miss America contest. How long does it take to select a, a Miss America? Uh, it takes a week so that the judges can uh, completely get acquainted with the girls. <laughs> <laughs> Those fools that go out for the Supreme Court, huh? <laughs> well, Victor, old boy, I'm sorry I'm neglecting you. It's not that I'm forgetting you exactly. It's just that I'm not thinking of you, that's all. <laughs> Victor, suppose uh, Vera wasn't married and you saw her walking along the street in Albania. How would you uh, approach her and make a date with her? Oh, I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, huh? No. You... Well, you can go back behind the Iron Curtain, you know. <laughs> well, it is not allowed for a man in Albania to talk to a girl on the street. If, uh, if it's absolutely necessary, for instance, like to ask for a direction, he has to go across the street and then holler at her. He has to cross the street and holler at her if he wants a direction? That's right. Suppose that isn't the question he wants to ask. <laughs> how, is she, how is she going to be able to reach him and slap his face? Unless she's got the arm of a gorilla. In that case, he wouldn't want her. Now, Victor, do they have bathing beauty contests in Albania? No. The, the women... Don't they bathe in Albania? Yes, they do, but the women are not allowed to expose their bodies in public. If they, if they want to go to the beach, they have to go to a separate, to a separate beach where, they, where the men can't see them. Well, what's the sense of bathing, then? <laughs> do they wear bathing suits on the women's beaches? Yes, they do. 
What kind? French bathing suits? Oh, no. They, they are much longer and they cover much more. How do you know? I thought men couldn't see them. <laughs> Victor, you would fit right in down at Muscle Beach down in Santa Monica. Well, Vic, you've learned something of American women tonight. Do you think you'd prefer to marry an Albanian or an American woman? Now, think carefully now. Well, Mr. Marx, that's very difficult to answer. The American women have uh, charm, personality, and they are good companions. But the Albanian women are more humble and devoted to their husbands, especially have lovely hands. Victor, you said hands, and you and Vera are going to split $100 between you. There you are, my lad. There's 50 for you and 50 for you, Vera. Thank you. Now, what were you saying about the girls over there? You say they work harder and they're more devoted to their husbands? Yes, they... I see. <laughs> well, what I would do if I was you is to marry an American girl, and if you want devotion, get yourself a St. Bernard dog. <laughs> Well, you make a very attractive couple, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm sorry you married, Vera. But uh, as happens to all men. Now, uh, you're going to play your bet your life for... You beat our other two couples, and you'll get a chance at the $5,500 to soda Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much the other couples won, but George is offstage to remind our listeners. The Western character and the Indian are still leading with $7. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected songs by Groucho Marx. Is that right? Mm-hmm. We bet nineteen. You're betting nineteen dollars. Okay. Once I was happy, but now I'm forlorn, like an old coat that is tattered and torn. I'm left in this wide world to fret and to mourn, betrayed by a girl in her teens. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm terribly the man on the flying trapeze. I know I sing very badly, but I thought you'd recognize that. You now have one (laughs) dollar. Okay, here's the second one. How much of the dollar are you going to bet? Dollar. Dollar. Boys and girls together, we could sing and waltz. While Chico played the organ. Well, that's close enough. On the sidewalks in New York. Well, you're climbing a little bit. You have $2 now. Ah, you're way up there, Vera. You're climbing up to $2. Now, how much are you going to bet on this one? All of it? Something the while is made for fun and frolic. And so do I. And so do I. Some think it's well to be all melancholy, to pine inside, to pine inside. But I, I love to spend my time and I don't know if get a chance to sing. Particularly, particularly. Well, you have four dollars. I even have four dollars. Did you last chance to be the other couple? How much of the four dollars you going to bet? Bet all of it. You're going to bet all of it. That was a shame, that one question. Okay, is your last chance to be the other couple? You're going to bet four dollars. Da, 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 da. They say such things and they do strange things and da, 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 da. I'll never go there anymore. The Bowery. The Bowery is right. 
$8 total means that you get the chance of the DeSoto Plymouth $5,500 question. Well, I'll ask them the big question in just one minute. Here it is the first week in April, and time to start thinking about getting your car ready for the warmer spring and summer months ahead. To put it in tip-top shape, to add more life and real pep to the engine mile after mile after mile, bring your car to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer for a spring tune-up. Here you get treated fairly and squarely, and you get expert service. For the mechanics at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer are trained in factory methods and they use factory-designed and approved equipment. They'll inspect your car thoroughly, give your engine a complete tune-up, and check the electrical system. And they'll see to it that the radiator is drained and flushed, the chassis is inspected and lubricated, and do the countless other jobs that will assure you of thousands of miles of trouble-free driving. So no matter what kind of car you own, stop in for that really thorough spring tune-up at the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Any of the more than 3,000 authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealers will be happy to serve you promptly, efficiently, and at a fair price. All right, Groucho, and here's the, um, the beauty contest winner and the bachelor. Would you come over here, please? The winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $5,500 question. All right, here we go. For $5,500, I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully, and of course, no help from the audience. Here it is. One of our greatest men isn't as well known as he should be. See if you can tell me who he is for $5,500. He was our first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Who was he? What's the answer you two have decided upon? Sorry. Johnson? No. No, it's, uh, it's John J. Oh. J-A-Y. Oh, I knew. I'm terribly sorry. Well, that means the big question next week will be worth $6,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $8 in the quiz. <laughs> Congratulations. And, oh, $100 for the... Oh, you got $108? Well, that's not too bad. No. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, and thanks to both of you and to all of our contestants on the show tonight. Thank you. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Mark Show, when the big question will be worth $6,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember... Just be sure to visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Folks, here's a reminder from the National Safety Council. Don't stick your neck out in traffic. You Bet Your Life, transcribed from Hollywood, is produced by John Goodell. Directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. 
This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. (laughs) 